soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're going to know that we can never know that we're acceptable to stand before the Lord in our own righteousness. But we can know through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can always know that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his and we're the children of God. And we cry out, Abba, Father, through our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, dying as a propitiatory sacrifice in our place on the cross, even as Abel brought the lamb, even as God covered Adam and Eve with the, with the covering from the animal that was shed in their substitutionary manner. You see, we can have full assurance in our standing before God through faith in Jesus Christ in relationship, and we can have no assurance through self-made religion, and we can never be sure. Because it just takes one foolish day to train wreck it all. And the real woman of God and the real man of God is like David in Psalm 51 who realizes they were born in iniquity and It's not the sacrifices of bulls and goats, but it's the broken spirit and the humility accompanied by the blood of sacrifices of bulls and goats, the blood of substitution that restores a person. David, something interesting in Psalm 51, David understood that Jerusalem, the capital of the king, was not sustained by outward buildings. You know, it's interesting his son Solomon did all this great building and all these things and he fortified everything. But you know, in Psalm 51, you know what the last verse says? Rebuild build the walls of Jerusalem. That's random, isn't it? Build the walls of Jerusalem and let the sacrifices be acceptable. He understood it wasn't about religion, but it was the hearts that moved in place, everything else that would put it in order. You can have all the substance, the cup that looks so clean, but be defiled inside. And what did he say about this guy, this Pharisee, and the Pharisees as a whole, who lorded over the people? They're religious. They're supposed to be the mediators between them and God, and they lorded over people. They're supposed to be the stewards of the word of God, and they took the word of God, added things to it, and made it hard for the people to come to God. They controlled God's people. They fleeced God's people, and they put burdens on God's people. And Jesus just said, like, you're full of greed and wickedness. What is greed? It's not being content with what God has for you. But what do greedy people do? They take. They're takers. Oh, my goodness. They're takers. Of course, religious charlatans are takers. Self-serving religious people are takers because it's all about their religion. Gracious people are givers because they're gracious. But legal people are takers It's incredible. The human experience is not that hard to figure out. It's pretty clear and plain before the Lord when he speaks. They're takers. They appear to be one thing. They're completely something else. Jesus talked about these same men. They put in lots of offerings, 
but the widow who gave her little mite gave way more because hers was in faith and theirs was in pride, and they're just giving what they took from someone else anyways in the name of God. God hates religion. It's a, when we say religion, we need to understand every human belief system by which man earns his way to God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Because they all deceive, and there's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but the end thereby is death. And it'll never go that way. No one is ever going to stand in glory before God through Buddha, Muhammad, Moses, or any other world leader. It's never going to happen. We're going to stand before God in glory through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And who Revelation tells us was slain before the foundation of the world. That's how we're going to get there. And that's who we're going to praise there. They're not praising Muhammad, Buddha, or Moses in heaven. They're praising Jesus Christ by whom are all things, through whom are all things, and for whom are all things. That's what heaven's about. Heaven equals Jesus. Jesus equals heaven. That's how it works. It's his universe. He's the author and finisher of our faith. No man, no world religion. And the devil works very hard to prop up all these false religious systems and philosophies of men to deceive, distract, and lead astray. And my job as a minister of the gospel is to preach to you that Jesus Christ lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross for your sins and my sins and rose again from the grave for our justification. He is ever seated at the right hand of the Father and he is coming again in glory. That is the gospel message and that is how we're saved. And we just say, amen. That's the gospel. I never get lost of what my purpose is in life as a minister. I don't need some extra writing to tell me. I just, I have Jesus and I preach the gospel. Greg Glory doesn't need to look for some new thing this year to really make it happen at Anaheim Stadium. It's the everlasting gospel. It's what the angels preach in Revelation before it all ends, too. They close the deal. We have our part, but then the angels, it's like a bullpen. They come in and close the deal in Revelation, if you didn't know that. We have the great commission to take the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. But then in Revelation, when it's all going down, it's the end of the age. Then the angels come in, and they close the deal. And then there is every tongue, tribe, and nation before his throne in glory, praising his name, and all through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So what we want to take positively from this Pharisee, unnamed Pharisee, and his friends who are associated with him, is we want to consider well what God puts an emphasis on. And in this passage, verse 42, he says, justice and the love of God. To truly love God is to love people. And to be about God's business is to be about serving and loving people. It is not about being self-centered. It's about being alive in Christ. And I just think, you know, think of the places where Jesus went for dinner, if you will, or where he hung out with people. Like, think how much more fun Matthew and the tax collectors had for dinner with Jesus than these guys did. I mean, all you have to do is have two comparative dinners. People who know they need to be saved by grace, and they're laughing, asking questions. They're like, hey, Jesus, you know, like, what do you think about this or whatever? You know, it's like, hey, you know, and, and, and it's like he's, he's drawing people to himself, and he's bringing grace into that situation, and those people know they need Christ through faith. And what do you have? Matthew, the tax collector, who, like the Pharisees, was greedy. He just worked for Caesar instead of a false uh, representation of God. And when he encountered Jesus, he changed. 
He received the grace and he was different and became an apostle. The same with Zacchaeus. How much fun was dinner with Zacchaeus that night? Zacchaeus isn't trying to be some puffed up religious person like, hey, you know, like you should have washed your hands. Jesus is like, Zacchaeus is like, dude, you're in my house, man. You're in my house and you know what I've done. You know I've ripped everybody off in this city for like forever. And you know that. And so you're in my house. Lord, this night I tell you, I will restore everything fourfold. What's he doing right there? Do you ever notice? Zacchaeus is quoting the scriptures. Because the scriptures tells you the fourfold restoration in that situation. Oh, little Zacchaeus, you little tax collector, quoting scripture. When the one who's fulfilling the law, you're like, I'll restore fourfold. You'll do the best you can as best you know how. Because this guy came to your house to establish a relationship. And you climbed up a tree to see him face to face. And he came to your house. He exceeded your expectations of who he is and what he would do for your life. He called you out of the tree in front of everybody else who hates you in the city. And he goes and has dinner at your house. Now, that would have been a nice dinner party. To see a sinner repentant and rejoicing in relationship with the Savior, that's a fun dinner. To see self-righteous religious people judging, marveling, because Jesus didn't wash his hands, man, that's the dinner to avoid. That's a movie gone bad. That's just a bad scene right there. That's a dinner you don't want to be at. That's an awkward dinner party. And you're thinking like, Jesus, couldn't you give us a softer landing? Like, hey, you know, if you guys just kind of work through it, you know, we don't want to lose all of our church memberships by offending people. Let's just kind of talk about this a little bit. No, Jesus is like, you're like this, man. You're like a cemetery in Huntington Beach by Talberton Beach where you walk on graves that are marked, which you do, and I've been to a few, cemetery, a few memorials there, and you walk, and I always look down like, who is this? When did they live? And I go, wow, that's the end of humanity. But you're, he said to these guys, you're worse than that. Because people walk right over you, and they don't even, there's not even a, a thing saying you're there. You're dead and unidentified. That's crazy to think that's what he's saying to these guys. They're the walking dead. <laughs> They're the walking dead. They appear so religious, people greet them, oh, rabbi, rabbi, and they love the attention, they love to tell people what to do, and they're the walking dead. Jesus said it, not me. Jesus said, you're you're like these graves over here by Walmart across the street, the ones with not a tombstone but a flat thing, but there's no flat thing. That's what you're like. People walk right over you, and they don't even know they're walking over dead people, deceased people. And I don't mean that as disrespect to the people in the graves, but I know... Debbie's mom is not in that grave in Long Beach any more than if you walk over mine. Hey, you walk over mine, good for you. You'll paddle, probably paddle past me because I'm going to be scattered in the ocean. So you don't know where my DNA is going to be floating around. But I'm not going to be offended if you just, you know, because I'm not in the Pacific Ocean. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. When he comes, it's not yet revealed what we'll be like, but when he comes, we know that we will be revealed with him in his glory, and we will be as he is. Don't you worry about walking over me. And don't be these guys. So the Pharisees, this is just the beginning of like the Pharisee throwdown. But more continues. He says in verse 45, Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. And he said, Woe also to you, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. 
Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel, there we go, there's our hero Abel, to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter into yourselves, and those who are entering in, you hindered. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Well, if there was a semi lull of peace between Jesus and these leaders, it's over now. They're not going to be satisfied till they get all of Israel to say, crucify, crucify, away with him. They're not going to be satisfied until a murderer is released instead of Jesus, Barabbas, and that it's Jesus who's going to be crucified. They're not going to be satisfied in their bad eye vision of unbelief and their journey and their pride till they see the Son of God hanging on a cross with a dark sky and a rumbling earthquake, they're still not going to be satisfied. When the veil tears from top to bottom in the temple, they're still not going to be satisfied because they're going to stitch it back together again and act like it never happened. When they put all their guards there to guard the tomb to keep Jesus in the grave, Pilate said, it's yours, do whatever you want. And those guys, another earthquake and all their efforts to try and keep Jesus' body in the grave are not possible because Death cannot hold them down, nor the devil himself. They're still not satisfied when they pay. Well, can you imagine you pay off the guys who say there's angels there and the tube is empty? And you just pay them off to say, yeah, someone took the body. Again, I tell you, if your eye's bad, the whole body's bad. You don't think straight. That's what happens with unbelief. You just don't think straight, especially religious unbelief. You just don't think straight. So... This second group, the lawyers, they studied the law. Their job was to really break down God's word, to study it. Like, but the problem was, instead of just letting God speak, they'd say, well, this is what he really means. So when you have the Ten Commandments, it's honor the Sabbath day, which means, hey, have a day off. Just relax. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your husband. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy beauty, creation. Go for a hike. You know, just sit by a quiet stream. Yeah, enjoy your day off. Think about the Lord, like David would do when he'd, the Lord is my shepherd. These besides still waters and green grass, right? Just the Sabbath day, just relax. Enjoy a beautiful sunset, right? No, they got to take that and add 600 subdivisions to it and make it heavy and put more yoke on people's backs. And so it was so confusing what God intended. The heart of God was take a day off and enjoy the good things I've given you. What did Solomon say? When man works hard, what should a man do? Enjoy the good things God's given him. Enjoy your day off. But no, these guys, these lawyers, they say, no, 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 it's not that simple. Like just you having a day off. Don't you start a fire. Don't you pet your donkey. Don't you throw a stick to your dog. You know, all these things, like 600 rules and regulations. Who can keep track of that? That's what religion does. How can you know you're ever right? Because there's so many rules and subdivisions and, oh, it's just, it's never ending. It's like a Rubik's Cube that can never be resolved because it can't. Because if you think you're going to save yourself, it's a Rubik's Cube, you'll never line up correctly because you can't. And the Spirit of God would never bear witness that you did. You come in faith, 
It's like playing checkers. <laughs> really simple. Simple. It's not complicated. Your move. Receive Jesus. Receive all the blessings and all the promises that are yes, yes, or no, no. It's that simple. But all oh, the lawyers. No, no, no. But what did Jesus say? He's the Lord of the Sabbath. When his apostles were doing the kernels of wheat, right, and and, and the, these, these Pharisees and these guys like, hey, these guys are working on this Sabbath. And he's like, have you guys read what David did? I went and ate the showbread. Talk about throwing them a curveball. I mean, David eating the bread that was for the priest when he's being persecuted and afflicted by Saul, his father-in-law and the king, fleeing for his life. God looks at the heart. It's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. And Jesus, when he hithered healed the man with the withered arm. He turned to those, these same people and said, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? These guys would save their donkey, but they wouldn't save a son of Adam who had a crooked arm and whose life could be improved. He did those things on purpose to reveal and expose their hypocrisy and their falsehoods. And you remember what he said when, he, when the apostles did that? He goes, hey, Lord of the Sabbath, this is, I'm going to paraphrase, but pretty much what he says, like, the Lord of the Sabbath can do what he wants on the Sabbath. Let God be true, and every man a liar. The Lord of the Sabbath can do what he wants on the Sabbath because he's Lord over it. And the heart of the Sabbath is to bless humanity, not give them 600-plus rules and regulations to make their day off very complicated. That's what these lawyers did. You see, they said, you reproach us. And he says, you guys load men with burdens hard to bear, and you don't help them, verse 46. You don't even lift a finger. You just tell them, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. And you, and you don't help them. See, Jesus is the ultimate servant leader as the son of God. He said the greatest in the kingdom, what? Is the servant of all. The son of man did not come to be served like these guys, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Servant leadership. He didn't tell people what to do. He showed them what to do. He showed them grace. He showed them compassion. He showed them love. He showed them forgiveness. Nor do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. He showed them mercy. That's what he did. He showed them the heart of God, the Father. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Noticing the Father, but the only begotten of the Father, the Son, he has declared him full of grace and truth. And that's our opportunity in representing Christ in our generation. You see, Jesus came into that generation. And by the way, he says that generation was more accountable than any previous generation. He said from the dawn of creation, the foundation of the world, Abel to the Zechariah, that upon that generation, the generation when God walked the earth, who the generation that were the people of covenant, they were more accountable to God than any other previous generation. And as a people group, the Jews, they were. And, and Jesus held them accountable. Their entire generation, nationally, he held them accountable. You know, the only other time he really draws a huge distinction that I can think of, clearly, of a generation is the last generation. Oh, that'll get us thinking, right? What would Pastor Chuck say about that if he was here? Yeah. Because he said that the signs of the times he attributes to a particular generation. There are things that the last generation, not just the Jews, but the last generation of humanity will see that that generation is held accountable for. And he has a lot to say about that generation. And in between 
the generation of his first coming and the generation preceding his second coming have been a lot of generations, and we're just about three or four of them moving together right now. My dad's 88, greatest generation. We're baby boomers. Gen Xers are here, and the millennials are here too. We're all just sharing the planet for about 80 years, stepping into eternity, new life coming in, eternity. Diapers here, diapers there. It's just the truth, straight up. Someone's got to feed you here, eventually someone's got to feed you there. This generation was held accountable. These religious leaders were held accountable. The religious leaders in this country are going to be held accountable. And those who have faithfully preached the gospel like Greg Laurie and Brian Broderson and many others, Pastor Matt from Shoreline Baptist here, God will affirm his, his favor upon us in eternity. And he will hold accountable those false pastors who preach a false gospel and stumble people either with heavy burdens of legalism and self-righteousness they can't carry or licentiousness and degrading the grace of God and degrading it. He will hold them accountable for the different gospels that are preached in this land. That's the beauty of a free society and the marketplace of thought. You can be saved in it or you can be condemned in it. And it's self-determined. He'll hold congregations accountable for what they chose to believe. This is the, this is, this is the way it is. And we don't want to be religious and self-righteous. We want to be women of grace and men of grace. We want to be saved by faith. We want to be under the blood and we want to walk with humility and brokenness, and we want to be part of the solution for humanity. We want to be filled with a heart for justice, the things that are right, to defend the defenseless, and to care about people that no one else cares about. We want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love our neighbor as we love ourselves because we already love ourselves too much, and we want to let his love work through us to love other people. And we're going to come into this world, and we're going to leave this world. And we want justice and truth and compassion and mercy and love to be the fingerprints of our lives before we step into eternity. That's who we want to be, and that's the legacy we want to have, that we are men of faith, we are women of faith, and we believed all things, we hoped all things, we bared all things, and we always hope the best in any situation up just to, to the very end, that we believe the best for what God can do in anyone's life. We never want to be people that put burdens on people, that write them off, that stumble them and keep them from entering in. We want to be people who love them and serve them and wash their feet and cry with them and bear their burdens and show them the way through our actions and through our words and through our lifestyle and our reactions and how we handle things. That's who we want to be. We're the church of Jesus Christ, and we change the world through humility, brokenness, faith, love, mercy, grace. Because we hope all things and we bear all things and we believe all things. Because Jesus is our hero. And Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And we can do this. He's not left us alone. He's given us the help of the Holy Spirit to come alongside us to become that example of Christ in our sphere of influence and in our world. And we might be assailed and we might be cross-examined and there might be people lying in wait for us and there might be people waiting to catch something that we say that they might twist it and use it against us and we may not have the same perfect wisdom that Jesus Christ had but even to his apostles he said for the entire church age don't worry about what you say in that day Holy Spirit will give it to you and don't fear him who can th- kill you fear the Lord who has dominion over all souls for all eternity so I, I this is a difficult confrontation. There's no way around it. And it's, 
the way it is in life. And if we were Christians in Pakistan, we might know this a little more than being Christians in America. There are so many countries like Indonesia and places like that when you're living for Christ that you, you know what this is like. And people try to maim you and destroy you and wreck everything you have and disfigure you because of your faith. Here, they just make fun of us up to this point. Humility is good for all of us. It's good to be able to laugh at yourself. It's good. It's good to be able to laugh at yourself. It's good. It's good to be teachable and grow and learn from our mistakes and shortcomings. In the end, we don't want to put burdens on people. We want to lift their burdens. And we want to be part of the blessing, not part of the burden. And we're not trying to lord over people. We're trying to lead people to the king. And we lead them through humility and love and compassion. And whatever comes from that, we're in First Peter on Tuesday nights. And Peter's like, hey, if you suffer for doing good, what are you going to do? Would you prefer suffering for doing evil? That's what he said. He goes, don't suffer for being an evildoer. That's what the world suffers for. If you suffer because you're doing good, then that's all right, man. There's a blessing in that because Jesus did it. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.